stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. I have really struggled with the decision to return to political life. I loved my 13 years in public service as an MP, a minister, and especially as leader of this great party. But right now, I'm focused on making a difference through the private sector. Okay, so maybe not surprising, I think disappointing to a lot of people. Ryan Ambrose announcing yesterday she's not going to run for the leadership of the Conservative Party of Canada. Unfortunately, this guy is running. I think LGBTQ is a liberal term. I don't, uh, I don't talk about people th- that way. I, I talk about uh, persons, and I think uh, we all need the full respects uh, for uh, being a human being. Simply. Oh, so, okay. So you you don't you don't think that being uh, gay? You don't think? What do you think? That's a choice, or do you think it's biological? I think it's a choice, and it's uh, how people are behaving. It's one thing. I think government has responsibility to encourage uh, the uh, the traditional uh, value that we have uh, had for the past years. Okay. Well, his name is uh, Richard Decoré. He's from Quebec, as you might have guessed. He, I mean, he's basically a nobody in the party, but it, it was encouraging yesterday to see. Uh, some of the major contenders in the leadership race and other big names in the party uh, basically say, you know what, we don't want anything to do with that and, and denounce those kinds of comments. So I, I think the conservatives uh, have learned some lessons when it comes to some of those those social issues. But, but where does this leave the party in a broader sense going forward here in, in terms of having someone like Rana Ambrose not in the race? I think basically it's going to come down to Peter McKay, Pierre Polyev, and Aaron O'Toole. At least that's how it's looking at this point. Well, joining us for some thoughts on all of this, very pleased to welcome back to the program Elise Mills, who is a conservative political analyst, a senior associate with Sussex Strategy Group. Elise, great to have you with us here. Welcome back to the show. Yeah, thank you so much for inviting me on. Okay, well, obviously there was a big Ronna Ambrose factor looming large and whether she was in and whether she was out. I guess we now know the answer. So, I mean, were you surprised at all and were you disappointed at all? I was disappointed, but I wasn't surprised. Um, I think that I always understood that she, I I would assume, (laughs) I shouldn't say understood, Mm -hmm. but just from a brief, a couple of conversations I had had with her in the previous to Mr. Shearer leaving, I just never got the impression that she felt that she could be what she needed and wanted to be and what she had worked so hard for if she was leader. And I think that her advocacy means that she cannot be careful in her words. And I think she's come to a point in her life, much like many women in our age group, that you may not want to necessarily have the constriction or restriction of leadership at that level. And and I think it's a very hard decision because being a loyal conservative, you want to be there when the party needs you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think she is, she's She's put the party before herself for a very, very long time. And I think the opportunities that are before her now, and it has nothing to do with an ambassadorship. I think people need to understand if she's not going to accept the leadership of the party, the likelihood is that she wouldn't accept an ambassadorship either. Yeah, it's an important point. I mean, I, I get, and I think there's a lot of that disappointment. I, I, for me, it's easy to understand where she's coming from. I, I think people can certainly sympathize with her situation. But, you know, just the hope that someone like that could bring to this race and, and potentially to go up against the liberals in the next election, mm-hmm. uh, it, it, it is a real sense of disappointment. It's going to be hard maybe for, for the party to get past that, do you think? 
I think it's hard for people like myself definitely to get past that because I, I, and I just, speaking as a female conservative, I don't see a lot of the stories coming from the lens of a female, from a leadership position. Um, and I don't want to break this down into gender and, and go on a feminist rant by any means, but it's, it's really encouraging when you can look to women in the party and, you know, tack your course to theirs mm-hmm. or join forces in some of the important fights, uh, which I've done with Rana or Lisa Raitt to Michelle Rempel many times. Uh, so to, and now that Lisa Raitt's gone and Rana's not running, um, it's going to be, it's a realignment for the women in the party as well. Not to say there's not many great women. I mean, I think of Candace Bergen, Michelle Rempel, mm-hmm. uh, but I do think there's something particularly special about Rana Ambrose and especially the growth she's had in the last uh, three years since leaving the interim uh, leader position. I often say that if anybody had any criticism of her at any level, those criticisms would be long gone. Um, She's really got that statesman quality to her or statesperson quality to her. And she's such an effective communicator. And it's because she's so passionate about the issues that she speaks on and the issues that she gets behind. Yeah, I mean, it's a double-edged sword here because, I mean, obviously, you know, it's it's encouraging that the Conservative Party is, has, has someone like Ronna Ambrose, has somebody that, that, you know, could have potentially been the leader, would have obviously been a front-runner, but then there's the downside that, well, she's not in the leadership race, nor is there anyone like her currently in the leadership race. Well, that's it. And that was the reason. It's interesting because she became interim leader because she didn't want to seek the nomination for the leadership then. Um, because if you're interim leader, you can't be leader. Um, and I think a lot of people decided to weave some mythology. Was that going to be meaning that she would that she knew that there was going to be an opportunity later on? Um, was this just her waiting in the wings and, you know, um, testing her mettle, so to speak? And I just don't I, I was never sure that was the path she was going to take. And then I had, did have a conversation with her uh, probably about a year after that. And she was just getting ready to get married. Uh, she had so many opportunities before her. As you know, she, she's working with the U.S.-Canada uh, uh, think tank uh, in Washington. And she does a lot of work in the resource sector, manufacturing there through advocacy and, and promotion. Um, but she also has many other files around the state of women in this world. And if anything, she, she, it's funny. Um, I think Mr. Harper and her have a lot, had a lot in common when she was on the benches and he was prime minister in regards to women's like maternal health, uh, raising women out of poverty. I know some Canadians, don't correlate that with what they see with the Conservative Party today. But but that's that's Rana's legacy as much as anything else. And it's something that I have consistently been so proud of um, and so impressed by. And I think I think anyone that wanted Rana in there understood that she was this incredible lovely dichotomy that she could be a fiscal hawk but at the same time be a fearless advocate for women that were vulnerable in this world yeah and it's interesting too because i think for western conservatives and we, we've talked about these these issues before i mean there's i think some disappointment from that perspective that that a prominent westerner like ronna ambrose is out maybe some relief i'm hearing this week that that uh, jean charret is not in but, but where do you think uh, this leaves what the West and Western conservatives? Well, the, I've, I've heard uh, 
uh, a candidate by the name of Rick Peterson talk about how the party requires a Western candidate and that it's a Western party. And I think that's a terrible, terrible misstep on his part. It demonstrates that he doesn't really understand uh, what the Western uh, demographic in the party really needs and really wants and what Western Canada really needs and what what they really want. And I think the party needs to understand that, uh, you know, Western conservatives uh, or, or the Western part of the country supports the Conservative Party in the areas of because they support resource development and they understand mm-hmm. the uh, um, uh, the impediment we have around the expropriation of our resources, which is basically what it is through Bill C-48 and 69. But that's not something you should hang your hat on. You have to consistently earn Western Canada's respect and, and support. And Mr. Peterson has made it sound like it's a it's a natural, organic thing that Western Canadians will always, no matter how good or crappy a, a candidate is or a leader is or where the party's at, uh, they, we, they will blindly support them. I think it's actually quite uh, insulting to hear that. I, I'm, as you know, I'm a Western Canadian, and and I just don't know if he really understands what he's talking about. I think the party needs to understand you have to be a national party, and if the issues that Western Canada was facing was happening anywhere else in the country, I'd be as as vehemently supportive as I am now. I think it's more visceral for me, uh, as it would be for maybe someone like yourself or any of your listeners, that what is ha- about what's happening here in, in the West, because it's in our backyard and it's extremely personal and it brings up memories of when I was a child listening to my father uh, and his concerns about the first Trudeau. It just brings back some terrible memories. Um, but we have to be able to govern as a national uh, party and at the same time continue continue to promote uh, good economic values, support for the resource sector, but we also, through that, have to find a solution to get to yes. Um, and that means that we somehow have to figure out how we're going to do this uh, on a national level. And I think it really begins with getting away from antiquated and stale-dated talking points. You can't just go out there anymore and talk about supporting a pipeline. You're going to have to get into a long-term game where you're going to, it's an education campaign and it has to be much higher level than what we've seen before and you have to be able to hold down Mr. Trudeau's feet. He has a wonderful way of dancing all over us when we get into these conversations and I don't think we've been particularly innovative or or interesting in our talking points because they haven't really evolved since 2013. Yeah. Well, looking at who we have and I guess there's there's the three front runners in this race, Peter McKay, Pierre Polyev and Aaron O'Toole and, and respectable gentlemen all three, but what do you make of of their moxie and and in particular too their their understanding of of those issues uh i mean pierre obviously has such a strong understanding of what's going on i mean he's been really one of our loudest and most influential advocates uh on the front bench uh on the issue of resources and manufacturing in western canada um and yet he's in ottawa MP, um, yeah. but he does have uh, he he just he just knows his stuff. He's he's very good at drilling down the top three talking points and and having you have a little and making you have a little think about what what he's actually saying. Um, so those I don't have any concerns with Pierre in that regard, and I actually think he's a fantastic guy on a personal level. Um, but I just wonder, can he win the country? 
can he beat Trudeau? Uh, but also, I think it's important to hear what some of the lesser-known candidates are saying, in particular, Derek Sloan, who came out yesterday saying that he was going to run. He's a rookie MP. He won this time around. He took a took a riding, I think it was in Kitchener. Uh, he took a riding from a Liberal, but that Liberal had taken it from a Conservative, so it's a, it's a riding that flip-flops a lot. Um, but it was interesting to hear what he said. He said he didn't think the party was reaching its potential any longer. That it's very good on economic issues, but it's not very good when it parlays that into the socioeconomic ramifications. And it's not very good in bringing up things like social housing or rights of women or minorities and things like that. And I think that can parlay back to the Western Canadian conversation because, for example, if you look at British Columbia, those financial numbers are pretty bad. The chances of a recession happening in our neck of the woods, uh, while, while we've always been seen as the economic engines of the country, country uh, are, are, are quite are quite high and we're going to have to deal with housing. I have almost 6,000 forestry workers unemployed walking away from their homes in British Columbia. You have hundreds of thousands more in oil and gas. They are looking for housing and I'll tell you parking lots in British Columbia, Metro Vancouver are full of RVs and people that shouldn't be homeless but are homeless. So yes, I hear what what uh, Derek Sloan is saying. We need to be able to address this. This isn't you know bleeding heart liberalism. This is what has happened to Canada. Where is our pride? Everybody should have housing, yeah. and especially when you've committed and and uh, you've you've taken you've worked your whole life in Canada, and now you've just been left on the wayside. And so I hear what Mr. Sloan's saying in that regard. So it'll be interesting to see as a rookie MP and he, him addressing Pierre P. And Aaron O'Toole on these issues. What's interesting too this week, you've got this uh, Richard Descari from from Quebec who's entered the race, and I guess he's going to be the the token social conservative candidate. But you know the way he was just so over the top in this television interview this week. I mean, it was great to see uh, big names in the party stop up and say, "Look, we we don't want anything to do with this nonsense." Mm-hmm. I I found it just. I, I, I didn't in the first I, it took me 15 minutes to not be gobsmacked yeah. um, and I, as a woman and I could only imagine I mean we have such a, a strong base of of gay and lesbian conservatives and people don't really talk about that we have one of the biggest gay events at our conventions uh Every, you know, and it and, and, and actually, there's many liberals that look to it and are quite envious of it. We call it the big, uh, what is it, the big blue tent. Right. And, um, and I just thought, how did you come out of Quebec? I just thought, where did you come from? I never met you. I have no idea what trajectory you're going on here. Um, and I think that's what I'm concerned about with anybody. And I hate to say this, the gentleman I was just talking about, Derek Sloan, here he was saying all this great stuff. But what was the first sentence in his announcement? I'm pro-life. I don't understand why you have to do that or why you have to make sure that 55% of the room feels uncomfortable for you to get your point across. And I think what we saw with that Quebec candidate was just this, this undercurrent of, I hate to say it, bigotry and narrow-mindedness. Um, and again, it's very shocking to hear people from Quebec make these types of comments. It it is so surprising to me. And of course, that is the birthplace of Bill 21, which is one of the most discriminatory and racist laws we have in this country. Right. Now, you also mentioned a couple of names, Michelle Rempel, Candace Bergen. I I mean, there's there's still maybe a thought that there are some undecided 
uh, potential candidates out there. What, what's your sense? Do we basically have the slate now, or might, might we see some late additions here? Well, I just wonder, and, and I've, I've put this to my male colleagues as much as I have my female colleagues, and more importantly, conservatives that I know that I've sided with on economic issues. And by the way, I have no issue with anyone being pro-life. I just have an issue of it being your defining quality. Um, and uh, and so I've spoken to many conservatives, some pro-life, some not, men, women. And the one thing that I've posed to them has been, why are we not seeing Candace Bergen? Jean Charest thought that he had the right to run in our party. And he has been incredibly critical of conservatism, incredibly con- critical of Western Canada, uh, almost to the point that it comes off as being bigoted against Western Canada, and yet someone like Candace Bergen, who has worked tirelessly, is a pit bull on the front benches. Her work during the SNC investigation or or committee hearings was unbelievable, like Lisa Rates, and yet her name rarely gets banted around. And I began to wonder if it had more to do with the fact that certain candidates, maybe like Rana, maybe like Candace, maybe like Michelle Rempel, don't feel that the party is ready to go to the place that these types of leaders need to take them. And I don't think it's a coincidence that three uh, or two of our candidates, uh, the front runners, Peter McKay and Aaron O'Toole, have been around the longest and that they are what I would call legacy party members that, you know, that we've sort of whistling past the graveyard to pick our candidates, that they're, they're not really promoting any fresh new ideas. Um, and I wonder if the party membership doesn't want to move forward from 2011 because we haven't moved forward from 2011. That has been the most significant problem in in any of our election campaigns. And in 2015, you saw us get caught on our back foot. In 2019, those were forced errors. Those were self-inflicted wounds. And it's because the party hasn't, um, it has stopped its, its intellectual, its emotional policy growth. And I'm not so sure uh, if the leadership candidates really understand what the membership's looking for, because for the first time in a very, very long time, I'm hearing members say very loudly, I don't care who you are. I have no loyalty to how long you've been in the party or how short of a time you've been in the party. I don't care what your name is. I want to hear some big ideas. And I just wonder if there's enough of those people, because it's interesting to me, like I said, real innovators and and uh, advocates and, and very strong leadership contenders are not coming forward. And I think it's because they don't believe the membership will buy that big vision. Yeah. Well, we'll see how it all plays out. Uh, and uh, we'll talk again about all of this. Elise Mills, thank you so much for joining us here today. Much appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. All right, there you go. Elise Mills, conservative political analyst, senior uh, associate at Sussex Strategy Group. 974-8255 is our number here this afternoon. We are back with more right after this. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.